Welcome to Screen Talk Emmy Edition. I am talking to Executive Editor Michael Schneider, who's down at the TCAs, which are exactly where uh, this year? Yeah, during the summer, they're always at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Uh, in January, it's usually uh, at Pasadena's Langham. So, uh, yeah, once again here for what feels like weeks, because it is weeks and weeks of finding out, uh, you know, what's new, what's happening at the, the, the networks, cable broadcast streaming. They, they bring out their new wares, producers, stars, executives, all here to tell us what's new. And what are some of the sort of breaking news uh, surprises that, that have come your way? I mean, some of it's just about renewing shows and choosing this as a time to announce that. But has there been anything? Well, Jimmy Fallon got announced today for the Golden Globes. That's one piece yeah, of news. Jimmy Fallon uh, hosting the Golden Globes, which is interesting because obviously uh, Jimmy Fallon has a very different kind of sense of humor than, say, Ricky Gervais and even Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. So the last several years, the last real decade of, of Golden Globes, it's all been about that sort of edgy, biting, almost roast-like humor where they've taken on Hollywood and it's been a real raucous affair. Uh, Jimmy will be a great host because he's a great host, but you know he's he's not the kind of guy who's going to come in and, and start to you know sort of trash the industry. So maybe that will be a, a relief. But on the other hand, he can he can depart a little bit from the Tonight Show limitations that he's had to work with, where he's got to play by certain network rules. Is that not true? Couldn't he go a little broader? I suppose, but that's not him. That's not his kind of humor. I think, you know, people expect sort of someone who's a big fan, who who celebrates it, who has some fun with celebrities. So I think instead of making fun of the celebrities in the audience, he's going to bring them on stage and actually do bits with them and, and bring them in as part of the process, which should be, uh, you know, a good show, just a different kind of show. Hopefully more music, maybe. I'm sure more music, uh, more sketches, more sort of little bits throughout the show. Uh, it, it should be fine. And uh, what other what other breaking news have have you guys been fielding? So, you know, we've gone network by network. So Netflix actually went first. And of course, they have just a ton of programming. Uh, What's what's really interesting is their new Baz Luhrmann show, The Get Down, which, uh, as we know, is one of the most expensive TV shows in history. They're spending between 12 million and 14 million dollars per episode, which is let's face it, that's insane. That's a lot of money. Uh, it does look great, though. Uh, at the very least, uh, I enjoyed the first episode that uh, Boz actually directed. Uh, it's got all the hall- hallmarks of one of his movies, uh, visually really stunning, some great music, really heightened uh, sort of reality. Uh, it, it's not a you know sort of authentic, gritty uh, uh, chronicle of 1970s New York, but that's not what you want out of a Boz Lerman uh, movie uh, or TV show. And vinyl didn't do well, so maybe maybe that maybe that's something we should be worried about. But in this case, um, what I found uh, sort of striking was that the uh, film department and the TV department at IndieWire were like fighting over themselves to be able to cover this, which I found yeah. very amusing because on some level we're claiming that, ba- you know, the, the film side is claiming Baz Luhrmann as their own. And in this case, uh, Netflix is in the middle. It isn't considered yeah. necessarily TV. Who won that battle, Michael? <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we were sort of both working together on this. I think there's enough room for everyone uh, with, with the get down and, you know, but it is TV. It's episodic. Uh, it's being produced by Sony Pictures Television. So it is being produced by a television studio. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, in all intents and purposes, Baz Luhrmann's big, uh, you know, leap into television, which is really interesting. But that first episode is 90 minutes long, feels very much like a movie. So, 
the lines are blurring, Anne. It's well, uh, you know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's 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 the world that that we live in, and and I have to say, I've been enjoying very much watching the Sunday night HBO series, The Night of, which has some movie people involved, including screenwriters Steve Zalian and Richard Price, who are some of the best screenwriters working in Hollywood, and you know, usually command you know millions of dollars to to write scripts, and and Zalian's been directing some of the episodes, and James Marsh, one of the better uh, film directors, did the one that I saw from this week. So that's very cinematic. That's very beautiful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Obviously, a lot of television these days, very cinematic. And even the the cable networks that traditionally were more broad, like USA and TBS and TNT, are also trying to get into this more cinematic, upscale television, film-like television as well. Uh, the uh, another piece of interesting news coming out of the TCA is we found out more from HBO about what John Stewart's going to be doing over there. Uh, you know, we're, we're all still missing John Stewart, especially in this election season. It was uh, welcome what, to have him return, even if it was briefly with Stephen yeah, Colbert. Yep, briefly, not enough. Uh, I'd love to see more of that. Although, uh, you know, I, I interviewed the executive producer of uh, Late Show with Stephen Colbert and. He said it's probably unlikely you're going to see much more John Stewart. Uh, it's it's that's a special treat. That's a special relationship between Stephen and John. But John is busy with his own new thing, which is an animated series at HBO. Uh, but it's not a traditional series. It's uh, he's focusing more online. He's created an animation studio, and what he's planning to do is a series of shorts uh, that are a parody of a cable news network. So it'll give him an opportunity to, in real time, uh, kind of comment on the day's news, but through the lens of this fictional cable news network uh, animated. And the idea is with uh, the flash animation, which you can turn around really fast, uh, he can go up uh, maybe a couple times a day commenting on the day's news, and then HBO can uh, put that together into a half-hour package and put it on the air. But uh, it's it's an It's a great idea, very innovative. Yeah, yeah, very different. Uh, it could be great or it could be a miss. It's it's a real experiment and looking forward to seeing more of that. Uh, they're, they're planning on getting it out there hopefully by September or October. Right uh, in, in time. Advance, yeah, in advance of the election. So the Democrats put on a hell of a show. Um, I was riveted, as were many, by the great speakers that they had. So that even though I think a lot of people agreed that uh, Hillary Clinton in her white suit, do you think that white suit was brought about by, you know, all these uh, handlers, uh, people judging how people look at people and what kind of color, you know, that she's going to be thought of as more positive if she's wearing white? It's a good question. I mean, I also know it's sort of uh, an homage to uh, you know past uh, female uh, legislators and and uh, political figures at these conventions. Uh, most famously, Geraldine Ferraro, uh, who was the you know the VP nominee in 1984, who also wore a white suit uh, at the convention, and and there was a little bit of a nod to her as well. Sort of you know, here is Hillary Clinton finally breaking that glass ceiling that Geraldine Ferraro helped helped you know sort of puncture back in the day. So a, a nod to the past as well. A lot of debates about ratings between the Republican and the Democratic convention so that so that Trump is claiming that his particular speech did better than Hillary's particular speech, but the ratings overall for the Democrats were up. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's Donald Trump, who was always obsessed with ratings going back to The Apprentice. Uh, you know, funny enough, back in the day when we were at Variety and we were covering uh, The Apprentice ratings in the mid-2000s, he actually would you know, consistently contact us, especially our ratings guru at the time, Rick Kissel. Uh, every week, uh, he would fax uh, Rick's writing stories back to him with, uh, you know, his comments scrawled in Sharpie. Some weeks he loved Rick. Some weeks he was not a fan of Rick, depending on how he reported those numbers. Uh, so he's always been obsessed with those numbers. Ultimately, though, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of it's apples and oranges to some degree because, uh, you know, folks were also watching the uh, convention on C-SPAN. They were watching online and uh, the younger audience watching the DNC. A lot more uh, younger folks were watching it online, which obviously wasn't counted by Nielsen. A lot of the older folks watching the RNC, especially on Fox News, were watching on traditional broadcast or traditional networks. Very, so, very interesting. OK, yeah. so is there anything else you want to tell us uh, about what you learned at the TCAs before we move on to our? any predictions section uh you know it's it's uh you know pretty much run of the mill for the most part what 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 also the one other thing that's interesting is unlike last year where a lot of folks really had it in for netflix and were almost running scared really felt the need to you know kind of criticize netflix's formula and, and really felt competitive with netflix feeling less of that this year i think people a have sort of adjusted to the new ecosystem but b also feel like Netflix is kind of settling in and is, is experiencing its own sort of growing pains and that it's a little easier now to go up against Netflix than maybe a year ago. Yes, Netflix still has a lot of money in its pocket and, you know, it's tough to compete against that. But Netflix isn't the end all be all, uh, you know, because you know, Netflix won't tell you how your show's performing. It's also trying to grab all of uh, the international rights and, and back end rights up front. So you, you won't necessarily in success make a the, the kind of windfall that you might in traditional broadcast or traditional cable even where, you know, in success, you can really start to make some bank. So so it's uh, I think people are feeling a little more bullish versus Netflix than they, they, they were feeling a year ago. So that's, oh, that's interesting. interesting. All right. OK, so we're going to do supporting uh, categories today, supporting acting categories. And we're going to start with outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series. And this is one of these typical situations where you have a number of familiar faces who have won in the past. I'm thinking about Tony Hale of Veep and Ty Burrell of Modern Family. And then you have uh, some people who might be able to break in. And I'm curious to know what you think of, of that r rundown. Or is Keegan-Michael Key the, the favorite as he might be um, because of the fact that the show is leaving? Uh, you would th you would think so, but you know this being the Emmys, uh, Tony Hale, who won last year, you automatically have to make the favorite this year, just because the odds are he he will repeat because <laughs> voters do love him. And you know Veep's just on a tear right now. You know we're predicting it to win uh, Outstanding Comedy, so you know Tony Hale could be uh, you know swept up in in that sweep once again. So you gotta lean toward him. Keegan-Michael Key, uh, that would be great. I mean, that's my kind of emotional favorite Me because, too. yes, it's the last season of Keen Peel. The kind of work that he did was just incredible. Uh, he's just a really good guy as well. Uh, a little so, diversity doesn't hurt. Does that give him an advantage? I'm just asking. Diversity would be great. There and are this three is a, African Americans in this category. Yes, yes. So, so this is a great category for diversity. I, I also 
also love, uh, by the way, diversity of bald guys in this category. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, the same thing. <laughs> Keegan-Michael Key, Titus Burgess from Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, Andre Brower from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and, and Tony Hale, of course, is <laughs> pretty Almost bald there. as well. From Almost there. Yeah, so I love Ready that diversity the as well. <laughs> the other interesting diversity here is that you have Louis Anderson nominated for Baskets for playing a woman on the show. He plays the mom on on Baskets, and I actually asked the the awards chief over at the Academy, is this the first time this has ever happened? And he went back, and at least in this category, he could never find another person who's been nominated for playing the opposite gender. Wow. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, too. And, and Louis Anderson was definitely a revelation this year on Baskets, uh, playing the mom. So he's a favorite as well. Uh, you know, Ty Burrell, he, he's probably had his days. I so think so, yeah. I would say less likely there. But if you're a betting person, yeah, you, you gotta gotta go for Tony Hale again. Well, it's also oh, then there's Matt Walsh of of Mike McCle uh, He's also going against Tony Hale for Veep. What, I mean, I know Tony Hale won last year. Why is Tony Hale automatically uh, ahead of my, Matt Walsh? Just because he won? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say just because he won. He's also just such a uh, you know he's an actor that everyone loved on Arrested Development as well. He's just you know he plays he plays that that character. Uh, just, I mean, it's it's almost to perfection. If you go back and rewatch Veep and just look in the background and see what he's doing back there every week, even when he's not the focus <laughs> of, of action, you, you're no, he's delicious. He's absolutely delicious. And the show, as you say, is incredible this season. It's just even post Yanucci, it's it's uh, firing on all cylinders. All right, yeah. so outstanding supporting actor in a drama series. In this case, uh, Game of Thrones would seem to be dominant with Peter Dinklage, but I'm hearing a lot of love for Kit Harington as well. Yeah, I mean, remember, this was the year of Is Jon Snow Dead? So, you know, Kit Harington benefited from that, as that's, that's what everyone was talking about going into this season. So He didn't have that much to do, though, in, in, but, just in acting terms. But that doesn't matter, necessarily. <laughs> you know, it's all about name recognition. It's it's about, you know, looking here, who, who sort of, uh, you know, maybe you know cancels each other out that's what i'm thinking because you've got you've got jonathan banks from better call saul you've got michael kelly from house of cards who as we talked about before had a better season his high 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 season was the year you know last one not this one and then ben mendelson from bloodline who's amazing but again he was incredible last season more than more than this season and then you have john voight from mickey donovan yeah, but uh, for Ray Donovan. As, Ray, as Mickey yeah, Donovan. Yeah, as right. Mickey Donovan. Yeah, but, but ultimately, Game of Thrones, uh, Peter Dinklage. Again, it's the rule that we just had with, with Tony Hale as well. Dinklage won last year, and you know he's got that kind of name recognition that you know no one else really in this category has. Oh, well, John Boyd, obviously, but you know Dinklage is Dinklage. The voters love him. So, again, you got to give him the edge. But like you were saying, Kid Harrington has the potential spoiler because this was the Jon Snow season or, you know, the is Jon Snow dead season. So um, that's that's a real possibility as well. <laughs> it has nothing to do with whether they actually give good performances or not. That seems to be irrelevant. All right. I'm I, no, and I'm not saying anything bad about either of them. They're both great. It's right. just that it wasn't like they did anything this season that they haven't done in previous seasons. Except right. come back to life. That's your yeah, point. Exactly, exactly. Okay. All right. So Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. 
Um, we cannot help but note that Allison Janney wins, every, you know, all the time. I mean, she's she's been nominated like 10 times or something and won like six, if I'm remembering my stats correctly and look it up if I'm not. The others are, uh, are I, I would say, less high profile than she. But so it's Niecy Nash from Getting On, right. Kim McKinnon from Saturday Night Live, who's on a tear right now, broke out in Ghostbusters. Judith Light in Transparent, Gabby Hoffman in Transparent, so they could knock each other out, and then Anna Chlumsky from Veep. What do you think? Yeah, and uh, you know, like like the rule that uh, continues, uh, Allison Janney having won last year is is the the person that uh, you gotta you know keep keep an eye on because of course uh, you know voters love to con- you know repeat. But like you said, Kate McKinnon, she is on a tear right now. She was the standout of Ghostbusters. People just adore her right now. So she could be the spoiler there. This could be a case of people sort of feeling, you know what, Allison's Janney's gotten her due. She's gotten her due quite a bit. So maybe it's time to mix things up. So, you know, I would uh, I would back that up with Kate McKinnon as the, the second choice. Uh, you can't count out Judith Light because she is a veteran. She's been, you know, on television for decades. Uh, so there's a, probably a portion of the voting uh, crowd that you know, might want to reward her just for, for her body of work. But uh, you, know, you probably want to go in that order. I'd say Allison Janney, then Kate McKinnon, then Judith Light, then probably Anna Chlumsky, who uh, you know, probably you know, just because of Veep uh, is a contender, is, is nominated, but probably that's not enough to, to bring her to actually win that category. Okay, and then we have uh, Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, and uh, there's a lot of warmth toward Dame Maggie Smith for Downton Abbey, and then you have the Game of Thrones women who are so powerful this year. There are three of them, Lena Headey, Amelia Clark, and Maisie Williams, all great this year, Um, and then you have Constance Zimmer from Unreal, who's awesome, and Maura Tierney, who I thought gave an enormously, incredibly detailed and layered performance in the affair. Um, what do you think? So it's got to be the, the dame, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> you, That's you great. I have no problem with that. You can't, you can't count her out. Uh, I mean, it's the final season, uh, of course. Uh, so that's a big deal. And, you know, when, when you think about Maggie Smith, she's just, she's awards bait. Uh, you know, she's, you know, Downton Abbey has done quite well over the years uh, uh, at the Emmys. And, I, you know, when, I think when your average voter is looking at these names and they see Maggie Smith, they go, well, yeah, you, you got to give it. Uh, I think I'm I, I, I sort of, that's, that's the rule. You have to give it to Maggie Smith. So When in would, doubt. So, yeah, I would, I would definitely lean toward her. All right. Have we done it? Have, have, we, have we done all the categories? We have. Uh, no, we got to go to limited. Oh, so go, go ahead. Sure. Well, I'll jump in. I'll start off. Uh, outstanding supporting actor in a limited series or movie. Uh, so you had uh, this, again, uh, such a huge category. How do you decide? You have Jesse Plemons from Fargo. Uh, you have Bokeem Woodbine, also from Fargo, who's fantastic as Mike Milligan. You have Hugh Laurie as Richard Roper on The Night Manager. You have Sterling Kane Brown, who just killed it as Christopher Darden on People vs. O.J. Simpson. You have David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian on People vs. O.J. Simpson, who was a little bit of a revelation. Uh, and then, of course, John Travolta himself as Robert Shapiro on People vs. O.J. Simpson. So, you know... Uh, 
this 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 is a good toss up. You know, you, you could argue maybe the people versus OJ folks cancel each other out. Maybe the Fargo guys cancel each other out. Uh, you know, people love Hugh Laurie, uh, but Sterling K. Brown was such a revelation. I'm but going is, with him. I'm going to say it's him. I I would say, except that you know, for people, for the few folks who didn't watch People versus OJ, and shame on them because, of course, they should have been. This is one Ster- of those series that was better reviewed than it was viewed. Is that correct? Uh, it, it did quite well. It actually was very well uh, received and did well in the ratings as well. So, so it did well on both accounts. But because Sterling if K. you Brown, look, if you look at what of, of what people are, what what trends and is popular, you know, in terms of coverage on the website, for example, OJ. Even though we think of it as the favorite in all the categories, it's up for like twenty two Emmys. It just it did amazingly well. Um, yeah. It isn't like traffic bait you know it's not the same as as some other shows in that regard true true but but it was still uh you know critical acclaim and a lot of people did love it and watch it uh my my only issue with sterling k brown is he's not as well known he's as new. some of the names here. he's new god forbid yeah. <laughs> yeah i know but when you have John Travolta and David Schwimmer and Hugh Laurie in this category. Those those are titans. Those are big names. But he's and, a breakout. And... He's a breakout in a big way. It's sort of an exciting discovery, uh, oh, I would yeah. say. You know, he's obviously been around for a while, but but he he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's my favorite. I would love to see him win. Win, but I, I am. And then there's a lot of debate the about the Travolta performance, which is you know big and juicy and entertaining as hell. You cannot take your eyes off of him as Robert Shapiro with the eyebrows and and everything else. But at the same time, he's almost a snidely whiplash character. He goes so broad. Right. Right. So. So we sh- we shall see. This is not uh, a comedic. Know. This is not a comedy performance. Is what I'm trying to say. This is a dramatic no. performance. But these niceties may not apply at the Emmys. Exactly. They go exactly. with who they like. They go with who's popular. If, if, right. if we're not mistaken, right? That's that's uh, that's usually the case. Uh, Bill Murray, for example, won uh, last year in the supporting actor category. So, uh, supporting actress. In a limited series, uh, last year we ha- or this year rather we have Melissa Leo. Uh, she played Lady Bird Johnson in All the Way. Regina I'm putting King. my money on her right now. Well, hold on. Let let me finish this category. This is a strong category. Regina King from American Crime. Regina King won last year uh, in the supporting actress in a limited uh, category. So she's she's a favorite. But Sarah Paulson. Uh, now, granted, this isn't for her. her OJ role, but you know she's she's also nominated for American Horror Story Hotel, as is Kathy Bates, another big name, Gene Smart, who was fantastic in Fargo, mm. and Olivia and Olivia Coleman, who is you know probably the least likely in this batch to and win. And a great actress. No, she was amazing in The Night Manager. She yeah. was she was extraordinary. And I would like to suggest that if Paulson is the favorite to win for People versus OJ, wouldn't that mean that she doesn't have to win in this category? Best yeah. actress. Yeah, I would. Yeah, and, and this is yeah, and I, I think she's a long shot here because people are going to give it to her for for the lead uh, right. instead. So right. the focus That's my more logic. is on yeah, it's Melissa Leo versus Regina King versus Kathy Bates versus Jean Smart. That's that's a tight category. Those are all great actresses, all of whom you could see possibly walking away with the Emmy. Jean Smart was really good in Fargo, very powerful. I could see Fan- that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah you could yeah. see that. Uh, but but Regina Melissa. King, is having a moment. That's Regina true. King's, 
She's, you know, she's on fire. She was on American Crime. She was on The Leftovers. She's directing. She's she's everywhere. So can't. She's amazing. Can't, she's an extraordinary, yeah. an extraordinary actress and and talent who's having a moment. You're right about that. But at the same time, I have to to think that All the Way is going to do very well at the Emmys. It's just the perfect highbrow, incredibly well. Uh, executed, you know, Brian Cranston, and there's Melissa Leo as Lady Bird, and she's just, she nails it. She's extraordinary in this. Yeah. So I just have yeah, this yeah. feeling yeah. that all the way is going to do well as well. But I see this is a very competitive category. I can this, see that you're right. This one is tough, and that's it. When in doubt, I go back to, you know, my formula, which is who won <laughs> last year. And guess what? <laughs> Regina King won last year. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. And uh, so that's it, right? We're done. That's it for this week. We're going to get into some more categories next week. And uh, for now, the Emmy podcast is closed and you can go back to your crazy TCAs, Michael. Bye bye.